Hello everyone. I thought I would just check in to see how you're doing and to let you know that we are now only a few weeks away from the start of season seven. Andrew, Matt and myself, we have already recorded our first episode. We've already got a couple of our interviews done and next week we're going to be recording our first episode on Letters to an American Lady. The real big thing on the horizon is C.S. Lewis Reading Day. If you go to pintsofjack.com forward slash reading dash day, you'll find a webpage with links to lots of graphics. And I do mean lots of graphics to share on that day on social media of your favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, as well as a list of everyone who's going to be involved this year and also a little video trailer that I put together. I just have a little bit more to do in organizing the live stream, which is going to be happening that evening on November 29th. Uh, we're gonna have a bunch of people involved and we'd love you to come online at that time and chat with us as we have a little panel and talk about all things Lewis. And in the meantime, I thought I would share an interview that I gave to the CS Lewis podcast from Premier Christian Radio. They invited me on to talk about both my Lewis journey and also this upcoming CS Lewis reading day. Take care and We'll talk again soon. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by David Bates, a Brit living in the US who is one of the hosts of the absolutely fantastic Pints with Jack podcast. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm really excited to be on here. This is great. I really want to be drinking beer right now because of the name of your podcast, but I feel like it would be grossly inappropriate for you because it's 10 a.m. where you are, isn't it? 4 yeah, p.m., I, I suff- sort of just about get away with it. But Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not even five o'clock in England, so I, I don't think I can quite justify it. Although I, yeah. I would have been willing to suffer for my art if you had really insisted upon it. <laughs> Perhaps the next one that we we record together, we'll just you know we'll we'll pretend that it's later than it is. Um, I'm I'm desperate to hear about Pints with Jack, your brilliant podcast, and how it started and all of that. But before we do that, I'd love to just go even sort of further back in your story. Like, where did your journey with C.S. Lewis begin? Where did you first encounter C.S. Lewis? Mm. Well, like most people, it began with a wardrobe. My mother read to me The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia. And she would particularly do it at bath time because I was a little boy. And as we all know, little boys dissolve in soap and water. So I would literally get into the bath and then try and get back out declaring that I was done. So my mother would read the Chronicles of Narnia to me in the bath to to keep me there because I, I knew I was at least getting a story. And I absolutely loved Narnia as a kid. It was it's the experience I think a lot of people can can identify with, just wanting to go to Narnia more than anything else in the world. And e- even as a little child, I had a push-along uh, plastic lion toy uh, who was immediately called Aslan. And uh, <laughs> he, he actually had a, a, little, a little receptacle inside, a little, a little area where you could put things. And so whenever anything important went missing in our household, 
it was a good idea to to go and check Aslan because uh, <laughs> little David would usually t- put in there keys, money, you know, really important stuff. Um, but I, I, yeah, I fell in love with Narnia as a child, and my mother took me to go and see some stage adaptations in Oxford of. Uh, I think I saw the London Witch, the Wardrobe, the Magician's Nephew, maybe one more, um, but those are the ones I'm absolutely certain of. And my my mum always loves telling the story of what it was like taking me to see Narnia on stage. She says that you know, there were lots of kids, obviously, in the audience of the performances, and she said it was just bedlam and it was noise, and they were they, they, they were they were they were just fooling around. And she said, "But you, you were absolutely transfixed, particularly whenever Aslan came on well, to, onto the stage, just at the edge of your seat." And, um, and that captivation lasted all throughout my childhood. And I'm old enough to remember when the BBC TV adaptations were being broadcast oh, yeah. live on TV. And I got all of my friends together and, uh, and we, we always made an event of it. Uh, but I think the last time I can remember reading Narnia, I was probably about 10 years old. And I didn't really touch them again until after university because there my faith really came alive. And so... In my 20s, I rediscovered C.S. Lewis. I was babysitting for a family at church. They were, they were running a, a program at our church, and they asked me to babysit their kids, uh, which is kind of crazy because I was just a guy in his 20s. I didn't have any younger siblings. I had no idea how you look after children. <laughs> um, so I just did what my mother did. I just used bribery. <laughs> so the deal was that if they put on their pajamas and had their teeth brushed, then they would get books and specifically the line in which the wardrobe with voices. Was, they were very insistent that I had to do proper voices with, for the characters. And so over the course of a couple of months while the course was going, I got to reread The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I fell in love with it all over again. And so when the babysitting was done, I bought a new set of The Chronicles of Narnia and reread them in the space of about a week. And since I was now fully involved with church, uh, people there pointed me to Lewis's other works. And so that was how I found out that, oh, he also wrote Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, and The Problem of Pain. Well, David, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your reaction to some of those other works. But I guess giving us a little bit of context is perhaps helpful. Would you say just a little bit about how you came to faith? You said that university, the sort of post-university experience was obviously quite significant in terms mm. of your journey of faith. Would you just sort of give us a little bit, paint us a little bit of a picture from, I guess, you know, as a child to, to where you are now? What have been some of those key moments on your journey? Sure. Well, my dad was pretty much a non-practicing Anglican, but my mom was a very serious Catholic and she took us to mass every week and we went to a very vibrant parish. And uh, in our family, we prayed before going to bed and before meals. And my mom, she really put a lot of effort into my religious formation. You know, we would uh, do special things during the different liturgical seasons of Lent and Advent. And she also took me to any Christian groups that she could find. Um, in England, there are only so many Christians. And so I was exposed to a bunch of different denominations um, as a result of it. But in our parish, my mom and sister, they ran children's liturgy. So it's so for people that aren't familiar, it's basically children's ministry. Usually during the first part of the service, when we're reading scripture, the kids go away and they do the same thing, but at their level. So my mom and sister ran that. And I then soon became an altar server. And that was something I carried on all until I graduated university. But all this sort of meant was that I, I definitely had a very special relationship with God as a child. I had, you know, some questioning during my teenage years because everybody does. 
And my mum was really great. She just said, just keep asking questions. And I happened to also be in the vicinity of some very smart people. My, uh, my, my school was a, a Benedictine monastery and some of the monks there were absolutely brilliant. And so I could always go and get answers when I was looking for them. But there was definitely, there was definitely a shift that happened at university. I was invited to be part of this prayer group. I didn't really want to go, to be honest, but I thought I probably should. <laughs> Catholic guilt, Israel. Uh, but it was, it, it, was, it was in these prayer meetings that something very significant happened to me. What would happen is one of the missionaries from this group called Verbum Dei, their, their big things were evangelism and prayer with scripture. And they would offer a very short reflection, five, ten minutes maybe, on a particular subject. And then we would all spend time uh, in silence, probably just about five minutes. Uh, and we were given a, a sheet of A4 with different scripture passages related to the topic at hand. And it was in one of those meetings that I read a passage which I intellectually knew. But that night, it sort of struck me like a thunderbolt. And it's from the start of Jeremiah where... Jeremiah says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me and said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you as prophet to the nations. And it was like the Holy Spirit just went over that with a highlighter and something changed inside me. It was like a homing beacon turning on. And a little bit after that, I would come across St. Augustine and his famous uh, opening, uh, opening quotation in the Confessions where he speaks about, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts wander restless until we rest in you. And then my faith, it really became very much my own. Uh, and and, and, the, and the, the desire was turned up to 11. And it was actually excellent preparation for encountering Lewis later because it was a very similar experience to Lewis's searching of joy and ultimately for his argument from desire. Well, let's talk a little bit about Lewis because as you say, you sort of first came into contact with him with the Chronicles. That then led you to find some of his other works. What was your experience of finding some of Lewis's other works? And I guess were there particular um, passages or books that really resonated with you? The first one I read was Mere Christianity. Uh, one of my friends had said that he thought it was the best presentation of Christianity there was out there. And I was also quite impressed. I was also just very impressed as to its depth. It wasn't just simplistic, particularly by the time you get to book four and you're wrestling with Trinitarian theology and what it means for uh, God to share his life with you and, and that transformation uh, that, that, that comes with it. Um, yeah, I was just struck by the things I'm always struck by whenever I read Lewis. It, it's clarity, uh, it, it's depth, it's, it's challenge to live differently, to devote yourself to God more fully. Um, and I also read the, the, you know, some of his tougher works, things like The Problem of Pain and Miracles, where he makes you do a little bit more work. But <laughs> much like Lewis, I'm generally left cold with a lot of devotional material. But if you give me something hard to wrestle with and, you know, a book and a pencil, and I get to roll up my sleeves and really try and wrestle with some stuff. I, I, f I find my spirit fed in a very different way. Um, so, you know, men, uh, the, the, the intellectual uh, formation that I've had since then has largely been from Lewis. But also, Lewis emphasized the imagination. He described the uh, uh, imagination as the organ of meaning. And so I got to read some of his other nonfiction. I got to read The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, um, Till We Have Faces, and, and noticed that, that, that there was this other part of me that, that wanted to be fed and that itself needed needed conversion and what 
are some of the things in Lewis's work that really strike you, that resonate with you, that perhaps you don't see in other authors? Or, or you see to a greater extent, <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Let's well, not be uh, <laughs> dismissing yeah. the whole <laughs> Christian theology tradition. Well, the wonderful thing about Lewis is that he had read it all. He had read everything that had gone before. This was a man steeped in, in the classics. And so you, you have ancient Christian faith and ancient ideas that have been um, prayed over and thought over by the church for hundreds of years, recommunicated and re-expressed for another generation. And he regarded himself as a translator. And he actually said that if anybody graduated from seminary, there should actually be a pass-fail class, uh, that they need to take some high theology and translate it into layman speech. Um, but I, I, the number of themes in Lewis that I found impactful is, is endless. But one that particularly jumps out at me is this idea of heavenly and hellish creatures. Uh, it comes across in The Great Divorce, uh, The Weight of Glory, and it's the idea that the choices that we make every day, the small, seemingly insignificant choices, they, they, they uh, accrue with interest. It's compound interest. The, the small decisions that we make, they help form our, either our virtue or our vice. That every day in these, in these decisions, in these choices, we are forming ourselves to be a little bit more heavenly or a little bit more hellish. And he says one day we're going to be either a heavenly creature or hellish creature. And our, our job is to help those around us become more heavenly and to do the same ourselves. Now, let's talk about your wonderful podcast, Pints with Jack. Where did it come from? Love the name, by the way. Where did the name come from? Where did the concept come from? How did you start it? Well, I moved to the United States about 15 years ago. I just wanted an adventure. All of my other friends were getting mortgages and doing very grown-up things. I didn't feel quite ready for that, but I, I thought I should probably do something. And so I thought I would uh, move abroad for a few years and work. Uh, although whenever Americans ask me what I'm doing here, I describe myself as a cultural missionary, uh, teach, <laughs> te teaching them how to brew a pop proper pot of tea for a start. But uh, yeah, it, it was about 2017, I met a guy called Matt Bush at a party. And... As I want to do at parties, I was talking about C.S. Lewis. And we became instant friends. Lewis says in The Four Loves that the typical expression of opening friendship is something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. Well, we sort of had that moment. And I'd been saying for a while that I had wanted to be a little bit more systematic in reading Lewis. I'd enjoyed everything I'd read, but I always felt that there was more to be gleaned. There was that You could go deeper if I set aside the time and did it with other people. And so we agreed that it would be fun just to do that, even if it was just the two of us. Get a pint, get a coffee, uh, and work through one of his books. And that's what we agreed to do. And I also announced on Facebook, hey, we're going to be at this coffee shop. If anyone wants to come and join us, we're going to be reading through Mere Christianity. And a local book club just sort of happened. And so we ended up reading through a whole bunch of Lewis's works. But what quickly happened was, well, two things. One, we had people from outside of San Diego, which is where I was living at the time, ask if they could join us virtually. Could we Skype them mm. in? And that seemed like, like a logistical nightmare. Horrible. No, didn't want to do that. And this and is way also, before COVID when like online was, you know, <laughs> became easier and much more exactly. people knew. <laughs> exactly. It was, a di it was a different world. 
but the other thing was, is I felt like we were moving through mere Christianity too quickly. So we got through it in four sessions, one session per book. And so I suggested to Matt, do you want to think maybe about doing this as a podcast? And so that way, people outside of San Diego, they can virtually participate, but also we can go a little bit more slowly, do it chapter by chapter rather than book by book. And so that's what we started. And we initially called it The Eagle and Child after the pub where Lewis would meet with his friends. And we ended up doing a first season and it was, we didn't really know what we were doing and we were doing it on the cheap. I have a picture of us with microphones balanced on an ironing board propped up by a few books. Uh, so we, we weren't even sure if we were going to be doing it beyond mere Christianity, but towards the end, we decided let's make this a regular thing. And so that's when we bought a domain name and we actually ended up changing the name of the podcast as we were doing that uh, to Pints with Jack. And it's called Pints because Lewis enjoyed a pint at the Eagle and Child and Jack because this was his name from childhood, effectively, and it was what his friends called him. And so we regarded ourselves as his friends, or at least we would have been, we would have tried very hard if we had known him. And so we are Pints with Jack trying to do what the Inklings did. And that's why we also post on Tuesdays and Thursdays, because on Tuesdays, the Inklings would typically gather in the Eagle and Child and... Uh, have some banter and chat about university gossip. And then on Thursdays, do deep dives with their own texts and read them to one another uh, over a big pot of tea. And so we try and mimic all of that uh, <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> and then in 2020, we added a new co-host, Andrew Lazo. And uh, he actually entered the seminary and he's now a priest in the Episcopal Church. So also like the Inklings, we now have a, a representation from a number of different Christian traditions. And... On the show, we've discussed works of C.S. Lewis, mostly chapter by chapter, and we've gone through Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, Till We Have Faces, The Four Loves, and we just finished Out of the Silent Planet, which has been great because you guys have been talking about that recently. Yes, uh, we have. <laughs> and in addition to that, we've interviewed a bunch of scholars and enthusiasts, probably about 130, and we've got about 400 wow. episodes in total. Wow. Now, you were obviously a big C.S. Lewis fan before you started the podcast, but do you think mm -hmm. there are any surprising things or particularly interesting things that you maybe didn't anticipate learning that you've learned along the way? Because as you say, you've interviewed people right across the board <laughs> on lots of different things. There must have been some things where you thought, oh my goodness, I did not know this about <laughs> Lewis. How interesting, how surprising, how confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I hadn't realized until I started the podcast that he was Irish. Like most people, I assumed he was English. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, he was Irish and his Irish identity was very important to him. Prior to starting the podcast, I hadn't actually finished reading Surprised by Joy. Because in Surprised by Joy, he says, uh, if what I've said thus far doesn't interest you, you should just put this book down. It hadn't been interesting to me, so I put it down. Uh, so I never finished Surprised by Joy until I started the podcast. But when I did, I discovered that, oh, he actually wasn't always a Christian and that he grappled with both theism and Christianity. Um and I, I, one of the things I, I, I discovered from interviewing biographers was I always knew he liked to smoke, but I had no idea how much. Uh, mm. One biography says that he smoked 60 cigarettes a day. And Lewis was apparently terrible at mathematics, but I'm a little bit better. And so I, I did, did it on the back of a napkin and realized that he spent about a third of his waking life smoking, uh, which is... Disgusting, but also kind of impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and quite a lot of his wage, presumably, as well. Yes, I mean, I think it was certainly cheaper than it was today. But yes, I, th I think a, a good lot of his paycheck went to tobacco. Um, but you mentioned some of the scholars that we've had on. One of them that we've had on multiple times is Dr. Diana Glyer. 
And a lot of her work is focused around the Inklings as a whole and uh, their collaboration. And seeing Lewis's circle of friends has been very enlightening to me to see that he isn't just this lone genius. He is a genius, but that he was surrounded by all of these people who were challenging him and encouraging him. And this community that produced all of this amazing literature and they helped shape each other's thought. And that this extends well beyond their, the usual boundaries. And you know, I'm Catholic and Lewis was an Anglican. And I've discovered that actually everybody loves him, apparently. I mean, uh, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, they're very familiar with his work. And Benedict has a wonderful lecture on, um, on relativism where, where he quotes Lewis a bit. And uh, today, a lot of people are going through the Bible in a year and the Catechism in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. And honestly, it's like at least once a week he quotes Lewis. And we actually even had <laughs> uh, an ecumenism month on the show where I interviewed uh, an Eastern Orthodox professor, a Mormon missionary, a Baptist. It, it just seems across the board. We even have uh, a guy who's an Orthodox Jew, not a Christian, still loves Lewis. <laughs> uh, and his, his, his impact is, I always knew he'd had a significant impact, but I'm just seeing the extent of it. Even if one of the downsides of that is that he's probably one of the most misquoted men on the internet. You find any inspiring quotation, you'll usually find C.S. Lewis's quota- name attached to it somewhere. Even if it's something as obviously wrong as life is like a box of chocolates, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You mentioned lots of the sort of denominations that clearly love Lewis. But I think it's really interesting that you are a Brit in America because there's also a kind of global love of Lewis as well, isn't there? Particularly mm. in the West where, you know, he was obviously British. He never went to America, but he is was even then and is now still huge in America, isn't he? Yes, exactly. And he is a, a very surprising uh, a surprising influence on many Americans, particularly given he did these things like smoking and drinking. And then, mm. and there are various quotations from Christian leaders saying, oh, I know he smokes, I know he drinks, but I'm pretty sure that man's a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, this may be like asking you to choose between your favourite children, but do you think you have a favourite quotation, a favourite book, a favourite idea of Lewis? And why has that become your favourite? Or do you think it's too difficult to choose? It is very difficult. On the podcast, we always argue about which we think is Lewis's best book. I think it's The Great mm-hmm. Divorce. And uh, Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he says, I, I agree with Lewis that uh, Till We Have Faces is far and away my best book. So we have constant arguments uh, about that uh, on the on the show. And I love The Great Divorce just because I think it's Lewis's most complete book and most accessible book. You see so many of his ideas make their appearance, uh, particularly as to how love can go wrong when it is untempered by charity, as well as uh, the relationship between uh, uh, choice and eternity. Um, it, in, in The Great Divorce, there are, there are so many wonderful quotations when uh, George MacDonald, who is Lewis's guide through the afterlife, he says that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And he says all that are in hell, choose it. And without that self-choice, there could be no hell. But he then goes on to say that no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. So I, honestly, I could quote the entirety of The Great Divorce, but so as to not sto- to stoke up any more animosity on our podcast, I'm actually going to choose a different one. It's actually a quotation oh. that we uh, receive through Lewis's secretary, Walter Hooper. 
And in one of the forwards of a book, uh, he recounts the time when Lewis said to him, you can never get a cup of tea large enough or a book long enough to suit me. And uh, we don't quite have an official quotation for uh, C.S. Lewis Reading Day, but I think if you could sum it up, it might be in that quotation. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by David Bates, a Brit living in the US who is one of the hosts of the absolutely fantastic Pints with Jack podcast. David, you have started a really exciting initiative um, around a C.S. Lewis reading day. Would you just say a little bit about that? Where did the idea come from? Why did you want to do this? Well, I really just thought Tolkien has a reading day. So why shouldn't Lewis? Back in, I think it was 2003, the Tolkien Society, they created the Tolkien Reading Day and they chose March 25th, a very significant day in The Lord of the Rings. It's the downfall of Sauron. And the purpose of the day was to celebrate Tolkien, promote his life and his works, principally by people reading their favorite passages and sharing it with their friends. And over the years, there have also been special online events, moots and... uh, events at schools and museums and libraries and it was this past Tolkien reading day I thought why don't we have the same thing for Lewis (laughs) so I I reached out to a bunch of different podcasters the guys from Talking Beasts the Lamppost Listener the Lesson and Lewis podcast YouTubers such as Into the Wardrobe and I also reached out to the more established organizations like the C.S. Lewis Foundation and there are lots of C.S. Lewis societies here in the States in Arizona Portland New York And we actually now have over 30 different content creators and organizers involved, organizational groups involved. And once I had assembled this, we took a vote. Um, We might be leading it, but we're trying to stay reasonably democratic. And we decided (laughs) that we should celebrate Lewis's reading day on his birthday. So we can wish him happy birthday by reading his books. So that's November 29th. And so much like the Tolkien reading day, we'll be doing very similar things. We'll be sharing our favorite passages of C.S. Lewis. And on our Instagram, we've constantly been sharing the, our favorite quotations in graphical form. And we'll be producing a whole new load of them so people can just share them if they like. But also between all these content creators, we're going to have special podcast episodes and videos. We're going to have some collaborations between some different content creators. And we are also going to try and hold a special live stream with as many of us as we can uh, of these different content creators where we can talk about the work that we're doing, why Lewis is special to us, and we're also going to be giving away hundreds of dollars of books, including some first editions. Wow. And just going back a little bit, why did you feel like it was really <laughs> important to celebrate Lewis in this way? Why, why is he worthy of celebration? Well, we can't let all the Tolkien nerds have all the fun. That just doesn't seem right. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, but but honouring him in this particular way, well, it's one of the consequences of it is it exposes people who have never heard of Lewis to his works. And it invites those who have read a little bit of Lewis to go further up and further in. 
to move from a few books and a few favorite quotations to diving deeply into his works. One of the things we completely we we say about our podcast repeatedly is that it's an on ramp. It's for helping people go go deeper into Lewis's works. Um, and also celebrating this way helps build the Lewis community. And I will occasionally throw a little bit of shade at the Tolkien community. I may or may not have had a debate uh, online with with uh, Tolkien podcasters about who is better, C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. I think I won, but that's another <laughs> matter. But one of the things that the Tolkien community does really well is community. They get together and, and build on Tolkien's work. And uh, honestly, if there's one thing we can learn from the Inklings, it's the power of encouragement and collaboration. Mm. So celebrating Lewis in this way will help do the things that he did, replicate the Inklings across the globe, and in so doing, help people come to know Lewis and the rest of the Inklings better. And I guess, obviously, at this stage of recording, there is, there's not loads of stuff put in place. You've got lots of ideas. But how can people get involved? Are there places that they can go to sign up for things? What, what's the best way to get involved if people think that's an amazing initiative? Well, we do have a web page already. It's at pinesforjack.com slash reading day with a dash in between reading hyphen day. Or you can just Google it. You should find it straight away. And uh, the easiest way for people to participate is to share their favorite Lewis quotations on social media on November 29th, tag it with the hashtag read CS Lewis, hashtag read CS Lewis. And as I said, we'll have a load of graphics on our webpage and we'll be posting them on our social media platforms all day. So if it's just easier to retweet and repost, you can just do that. Um, but I would also say if people want to do something different, get creative, you know, in, invite some friends together to read one of Lewis's essays invite your neighbors over to eat Turkish delight. Don't betray your family once you do this. <laughs> uh, read the Chronicles of Narnia to your children. Watch a movie, either one of the Narnia ones, or there's a bunch of biographical ones about Lewis. And uh, you can sign up for the mailing list specifically for this CS Lewis reading day. It's on that webpage. And we also have a contact form on pintsofjack.com if you just want to reach out to us and tell us what things you've got planned either online or in your local community. Thanks so much for that, David. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes as well so that people can get get a hold of that. Just, yeah, remember that date, November the 29th. Now, David, what one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, I know you do this so well mm -hmm. on Pints with Jack, taking something that is potentially a little bit complicated and kind of bringing it into the vernacular, as Lewis did so well, and delving really deep into the chapters. As you say, you go sort of chapter by chapter rather than just like a whole big chunk. Do you have any advice for people who would really like to get into Lewis, but I just don't really know where to start? I mean, perhaps they're put off slightly by the archaic language or... <laughs> I guess, you know, the context is just very different, isn't it? And if you're not a white middle-aged man in Britain, perhaps <laughs> feeling like you maybe don't have that much in common with the author of, of these works that you're trying to read. Well, first of all, I would say choose your first work wisely. Um, and I would mm -hmm. say pick the literary genre that speaks to you. Lewis wrote in basically every genre that there is. So whether it's, you know, fantasy, essay, literary criticism, um, apologetics, Pick, pick a, a genre that works for you. And I'd also encourage people not to neglect Narnia. Just because you're an adult, it is perfectly fine for Narnia to be the first books of his that you, that you read because they are also some of his richest. And if you don't want to invest too much time, an essay is, can be super short. Um, or if you just want to get oriented with Lewis's life, watch The Most Reluctant Convert. It was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. 
by Max McLean. And through that movie, you can get a sense of his life, but also a taste of his works, because virtually every line in that movie is drawn directly from a Lewis work. And I would say then, when you start reading Lewis, read slowly. You, you don't get prizes if you finish quicker. One of the great <laughs> things about doing this podcast is that we read Lewis's works slowly. And like all good meals, you then get to savor it because Lewis is a marinade. He's not ketchup. You don't just sort of squirt it over the top and, and wolf it down. <laughs> you, you let that stuff soak into you. So read stuff nice and slowly. And also, I would suggest to anybody reading Lewis, do what he did. Read it in community. Get together with just a friend or two, a pint, a coffee, what, what, whatever is your tipple of choice. Get together with friends and read Lewis and then discuss it because it's very often in those conversations as you're discussing his works that you start to find the real gold that's there. That's all really helpful. And I would highly recommend listening to Pints with Jack as well. If you don't know where to start, maybe start with something that you think might interest you and, and click on that. I, I know I listen to yours a lot when I'm running. And I must admit that I always, regardless of the podcast, I always listen on double speed. So I see what you're saying about the marinating, but I just listen to it faster. because <laughs> then it gets It's okay. Quicker, I but... do the same thing. <laughs> I would like to take just a moment to remind you that it's listeners like you who make programs like this one today possible through your financial support. In fact, your gift today is so important that we would like to say thanks for your gift by sending you a copy of the ebook Is God Dead? Faith, Culture and the Modern World. It's a powerful resource that unpacks where today's generations are turning in an increasingly post-Christian society and how you can stand strong in your faith, igniting a renaissance of belief. To give your gift and request your copy, simply visit premierinsight.org slash C.S. Lewis. Once again, that's premierinsight.org slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you for your generosity and partnership, which are vital to keep this program coming to you and thousands of other listeners. Enjoy the rest of your episode. David, as we come to the end of this podcast, we're coming up to the 60-year anniversary of C.S. Lewis's death. And there's, you know, there are so many people that think that C.S. Lewis is still relevant today. There would be people on the other side as well that say that actually he's had his time. He was great while he was there, but he's not relevant anymore in the 21st century. Presumably, as someone who hosts Pints with Jack, a podcast celebrating his work, you do think that he is still relevant 60 years after his death. But, but would you be able to articulate why you do still think he's relevant? I think this would take about another hour <laughs> to, to express. <laughs> we have all, all the time the ways... in the world. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I think at the most basic level, he is an excellent writer and good writing is always relevant. He's an excellent writer who speaks to your mind and will, will, will form you and help you to think in different ways. And this was what Lewis did himself in, in an experiment in criticism. He says, my own eyes aren't enough for me. I must see through the eyes of others. That's what Lewis is very good at doing, helping you see through the eyes of others, engaging not only your intellect, but also, I mentioned it before, your imagination. Uh, he makes all of this stuff real. He allows you to step into another world and not just learn a few new facts. And I'd also say Lewis is relevant because of the stuff that he talked about. And he did this across all of his work. And I've I mentioned he's written in every genre. So you, you see lots of the same ideas reappearing in different forms, in different ways. But Lewis is always tackling stuff that matters. Um, he speaks about human nature. He speaks about grace. And these things don't change. And as he said in The Four Loves, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. But the things that Lewis did write about are eternal. And so therefore, Lewis can never be out of date. 
I have. I did say that was the last question. I totally lied because I've got another question for you, if you don't mind, David. <laughs> you must have, having interviewed so many of these people who presumably their own lives were profoundly impacted by Lewis uh, for a lot of them. Uh, have you met anyone whose life was completely transformed, for whom Lewis was kind of the reason that they came to faith? Yes. And once again, you find it across all of his works. It, it's not simply everybody reads mere Christianity and then they accept Christ. And very often, people see Lewis's influence in retrospective. There's actually a line in Lewis's best work, The Great Divorce, where he talks about heaven and hell being <laughs> retrospective. And I think every Christian can recognize this when they look back on their life, when they're telling their testimony, and they see even their missteps, they see God's hand working through their life, bringing them ultimately to where they are today. And I've had many people report that with regards to Lewis, in terms of when they look back, they see his influence all the way back from when they were children reading the Chronicles of Narnia, back when they were studying romantic poetry or uh, English literature, and they came into contact with him again, and then also started considering the, the deeper questions of life, such as suffering, and then they read The Problem of Pain, and then they start to th ask questions about mere Christianity and read mere Christianity. And there's actually a, a movie that's, that's coming out around now called Surprised by Oxford, Dr. Carolyn Webber, and her story is shaped very much by Oxford and the Inklings, and it's called Surprised by Oxford. It's both a book and a movie. And she is just one of many, many examples. In fact, I would, I would say there's, there's barely a guest that we haven't had on the show. There's barely a guest that we've had on the show who hasn't been influenced by Lewis in at least a very profound way. David, thank you so much. We're not done with you yet because we are going to be speaking to you about Christmas in a later episode. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for sharing that. And um, as I said, we'll be putting links about how to get involved with the Lewis Reading Day. Wonderful. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the Lewis community come together and uh, both celebrate and uh, evangelise Lewis. Um, because Lewis isn't just an evangelist for Christ. He's also an evangelist for good reading. And so, you know, you, you, you read Lewis, you get holier, and you also get smarter. And I don't think there's a better deal that we can offer than that. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.